should turn tonight, if you will, to the book of John for our first scripture at 17th chapter. Last evening things happened that pleased me very much. A number of the men who have to work tonight shift came and told me the reason they wouldn't be present. Isn't that lovely? Uh, it showed good spirit. That's good, but I never heard the fellow getting his boss to send him as far away as Los Angeles to keep me in the place in my life. That's going to the extreme, it seems to me. Now, be one of God's hunting dogs. There's so many, so many who need help and we trample over them in our zeal to be religious keep your eyes open you never know when the Lord's going to let you cross the path of somebody he's dealing with and they're wounded and they need help Mr. Spurgeon had 300 hunting dogs he called them they were constantly on the lookout somebody whom the spirit had wounded and they needed help they do need help and it's a blessed privilege sometimes to be a helper keep your eyes open your heart warm go further than inviting people in these days to have elsewhere to go I know a barber in High Point North Carolina got under conviction about a man who's been trying to witness to him through the years and he made up his mind he's going to run the fellow out of the county or get him into a gospel service and he'd go and the man would have a, an alibi and excuse and he'd just sit on his front step doing the service next night he'd show up the fellow would have another alibi and he sat on his front step for 13 successive nights until he landed it. Just keep on. If we knew how desperately seeked in sin this generation is, we would abandon our hop, skip, and jump methods, and we stand between somebody. I, we, I wish we'd quit win, trying to win everybody and try to win somebody. And that'd be a lot better, wouldn't it? Do your best, you're a gracious people. I want to give an illustration, if I can, to illustrate the introducement message tonight. I want to try to preach tonight on the God of the Bible versus the God of today. I was in my hometown where I live now from years since, one of the big churches and the big chairman of the board of deacons, he heard me one time. He decided he didn't like it. He was a fellow that the doctor told him to watch his stomach, so he put it way out in front of him so he could keep his eyes on it. And uh, he didn't come back to the meeting. He thought he took out, everybody else would, but God began to bring crowds and began to see. And so he 
decided I learned all these things afterward. He decided maybe he better show up and see what's going on. And he came down after he heard me preach the second time, and very pompously said, Young man, the God I worship won't do like you said your God does. And I said, I'm agreeable to that. Perhaps your God won't punish sin, but the God of the Bible has set himself that since it's a race between two sovereigns, him and sin, that he's going to win. You and I have been privileged or destined to live in the days when America has experienced the greatest revival of believing in God the world's ever known anything about. But there are many of us who are afraid that the God of today is the creature of our own warped desires. And that once again, the days of the Apostle Paul are being repeated. And that the God who's so popular now, the man upstairs, the one whom the little Hollywood actress said he's a living doll, uh, be the good Lord willing of author Godfrey, the God who has smiled upon a brand of Christianity that turned the Lord's day into Roman holiday. That's not the God of the Bible. It has always been true that men prone are prone to create a God with whom they can be comfortable in their sin. And it seems to me that's one of the great issues of this hour. A man would be a fool to go up and down America now crying aloud, have faith in God. Everybody's already beat you to it. They've got a God. All the movie actresses now are religious. Jane Russell is either drunk or in a prayer meeting. This is true all the time. This is the day when everybody believes in God. Tonight we want to look at the God of the day and compare him with the God of the Bible. I believe it's Mr. Spurgeon who said that the best way to ascertain whether a stick was crooked was to lay it down on the ground or the floor and then take a perfectly straight stick and lay it beside the other. And the straight stick will reveal the crookedness of the other. And tonight I hope to 
say four things about the God of the Bible when laid down beside the popular God of today reveal the crookedness of the popular God of that monster called Christendom that has more church members and more crime than any nation on top side of God's earth. The straight stick is this God that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of in John chapter 17 as he is praying to the Father in verse 2 thanking the Father and he says as thou hast given him referring to himself authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him and then the Lord Jesus Christ tells us what life eternal is and here in this context it's He's not talking about how long it lasts, but what it is while it lasts. This is life eternal. That they might know thee, might know thee, might know thee. It's a solemn thing that all through the Old Testament, I'm sure I'm right on this, all through the Old Testament, the word know and knowledge and so forth is used in this context of one of obedience. You know as much truth as you are practicing. You're under its rule. And to know God is to come under his rule and experience his rule in your own life. Another has put it, and I think rightly, in these words that the only way Christ can be known is in discipleship. For well, we need in these days especially to get back to those phrases that occur so frequently in the book of Acts that Christianity in those days was called the way. It was not disassociated from a way of life. It was not some pie-in-the-sky thing wafting around in the sky, but it was practical. And men, when they became Christians, were positionized into a certain way. And the people who made fun of the things of Christ called the people the people of the way. The people of the way. And the Lord Jesus here in our text says, This is life eternal. It comes from the hand of the exalted Lord. All life, we are told by him is in him, and he gives life, and he gives eternal life, and eternal life is to know thee, the only true God, to know by experience, to by discipleship, by obedience, if you please, this is life eternal, to know thee, the only true God. The only true God, the only true God, that's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. If we turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1, we're introduced to the world of the Apostle Paul's day, and you'd think you're reading the front page 
of your daily newspaper once again to read the first chapter of the book of Romans. In this sense, it seems like that history is repeating itself and that we can pick up the book of Romans which describes the character of people and the condition of the world when Paul wrote and looked like he just penned it day before yesterday and it front page news and it's hot off the wire and in this chapter the apostle Paul speaks of man creating fashion in his own God and we'll begin reading with the 16th verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Christ. And the reason I'm not ashamed of it, I'm not confused about it, it is, it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein this gospel is the righteousness of God reveal from face to face. And while we're not teaching a study course tonight, it's well for us to pause a moment and remember that the righteousness of God is not so much an attribute of God, but the righteousness of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he it is who's revealed in the gospel. For the gospel is Christ, and Christ is the gospel, and they cannot be separated and the, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Christ is made real to men and women by the Holy Ghost in the old, old story from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold down is the rendering there. They are active about it. They're not passive. They hold it down. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They hold down truth so they can be comfortable in their unrighteous, ungodly way of living. And to do that because that which may be known of God is manifest into them. And they've got to have relief. Men are not going to split hell wide open because they're a bunch of dumbbells and ignoramuses. Unbelief isn't the absence of faith. Unbelief isn't passive, it's active. Unbelief is the willful rejection of truth. And certainly we are facing that today. Men and women who have been brought face to face with truth and they had to do something about it. So they got on a sledgehammer and pounced it back into the earth lest their way of licentious living should have to go by way of the board. It is one of the most startling things that I've ever faced as a preacher. I hope you'll not get shocked about it, that the fastest growing sin in America tonight is homosexuality. 
Did you know that one out of every ten people living in New York City is a male or a female homosexual? There are over 70,000 homosexual male or female prostitutes walking the streets of New York City. Are you aware of the fact, and I do not chase Jack Rabbit much, but this is so solemn I mention it, are you aware of the fact that the fashion industry is now controlled lock, stock, and barrel by homosexuals? Are you aware of the fact, and I can name some, but I won't, lest I'd have to go to court to prove it, that many of the more popular television programs, no one can even work as a stagehand on those programs that isn't either a male or a female homosexual. We're at sodomy now. We're, we're down to sodomy, and that's as low as you can go. That's as low as you can go. I wonder how we could stand on the street corners or get on television or somewhere and without doing harm, I wish we could wave the red flag to the womanhood of America. And it breaks my heart that it's invaded church life now. Did you know there have been marriages performed by so-called Christian ministers in the United States, marrying males to males and females to females? Did you know the reason for the sloppy dress of womankind now? There is a desperate plot hatched out of hell to destroy the race by ruining the attractiveness of the female sex. Oh, I know we'll be thought crab apples, but it's not merely that people have gone so bad in our day. It's the fact that the times have come upon us of active suppression of the truth of righteousness. And from every hand, the very demons out of hell are controlling this world. I know it's a trite scene in the preacher's music. There never was such a day, but under God there never was. And the end of the ages, apparently, has come upon us. Oh, when we know, and I said all that to say, that men who deal with what I'm talking about now go so far as to say there is no salvation nor cure for people who've gone that far. And when I tell you this, I'm using the thought and the labor and the findings of men who deal with it. And they tell me that the majority of the sodomites of today were raised in Christian atmosphere and were brought face to face with truth. And they had to do something with it so they press 
kept it down, held it down, suppressed it, and blindly like a fullback plowed through the truth. To get them a God with whom they could be comfortable in their sin. That's what the rest of the chapter talks about. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. One of the paradoxes of the Bible that no man can explain is this. If anybody gets saved, it'll be God's fault. If anybody's sent to hell, it'll be his fault. Men are utterly without excuse. All men are without excuse. There has never lived a human being who did not blindly, like a bulldog, deliberately what he knew about God and God's truth so that he could continue to be comfortable in his lawless life. You'll never meet a man who's, who has excuse. All are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? Well, the next verse tells us because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and therefore their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and became such such fools as the next verses describe. They were such fools that they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. They got their own little pocket knife and they whittled them out of God like the corruptible man. But he is a little too holy. And so they threw him aside and got their barlow knife and whittled him a god like in the birds. That was a little too tight, so they got their knives and they whittled them gods like four-footed beasts. And they wound up creating the gods after the image of creeping things. Wherefore, God 
push them. No, no. Wherefore, God took his hand off. Wherefore, God loves people more than you do. Wherefore, God who desires the salvation of men more than you do. Wherefore, God also gave them up three times with a deepening echo in the remaining part of this chapter. God gave them up. God gave them up. That's cursed. When God throws up his hand. I shall never get over many, many years ago. I went to the Bowery Mission in New York City. It is at the tail end almost. It is still a terrible depression. And I preached the week in the Bowery Mission. Second Avenue and the bower and those streets as near hell as I've ever been. Not safe for a woman to walk those streets in the daytime, much less night. And it's not safe for a man to walk them at night. I spent the nights with the superintendent, some of them going around the wee hours of the morning, digging out drunks. They got them some smoke. They could buy a half a pint for a dime. And it put them out. And they'd get a newspaper put over their head and hunt the nearest crack where they could lie down. The snow would cover them up. And people go all over that section of New York City in the dead winter hours and shovel them up. If he's dead, to take him to the morgue. And if he wasn't, to take him to the mission. Out of uncoined. I saw sin. I'll never forget the first night I preached. And the superintendent, I went to school with him. We were buddies. And uh, he said, Now, Ralph, you bring a good gospel message tonight. Pour your heart out to these men. And when you finish, you turn the service over to me. But I said, Al, that was his given name. Uh, maybe the Lord want me to invite them to repent. Oh, he said, you mustn't do that. And I said, what do you mean? You going modernist on the oh, no. He said, but when you get through preaching, you turn it over to me. And I argued with him a little bit. And he said, now, nah, I know what I'm doing. He said, every one of those 800 men, don't read, didn't have more than 800. That's all he could pack and jam in there. And they preached to them for the fed and combed the lice out of them gave them a place to sleep, and they were ex-doctors and ex-preachers and ex-bankers and ex-everything the heart of the depression. Come to Bower, that's about as far as you can get on the road to hell in this country. And he says, every one of those 800 men want to be saved, every last one of them. Maybe they don't understand what salvation means, but they sure wish they weren't in the mess they're in. 
And he said, if you give what we know is a public invitation, they'd kill each other to see who'd get down there the quickest. And he said, they'll do anything on God's earth you ask them to do. You've ever preached to the Negroes of the South. I've preached to them many times. They'll do anything on earth you ask them to do. And don't mean a thing. They keep right on the way they've been living. And uh, he said, now, and if, and if they came down there, you ask them if you want to save yes, sir. Ask them if they'll pray, they'll pray. Ask them if they'll receive the Lord, yes, sir. They'll do anything you ask them to do. Said when you get through the service, if you give one of them a dime, he killed somebody to get out of there and go buy that drink that puts them out so they forget the hell they're in for a little while. And then he said to me, and you preacher brethren will understand what I'm saying. He said, I wish every preacher in the United States come spend a week or two here on the Bowery and see what sin will do. It'll bring men down so deep that this great big will we hear a lot about is completely sold out. And they've got nothing within them to lay hold of truth with. I thought about it a lot. The Bible talks something about that. When a man starts downhill and he reaches the bottom and there he is apparently God's given up his will go everything he's got within him that could savingly respond apparently I say apparently because I'm not an authority and I'm just hinting it Something I've seen was no well I can explain it or not. God gives people up. God gives people up. What kind of God do you worship? What kind of God do you worship? It's a solemn thing to remember that whether we like it or not, men and women are not nice people. If people were hungry for holiness and searching for God and panting for righteousness and haters of iniquity and lovers of the rule of God, that'd be one thing. But the scriptures say that's not so. Sin today is perhaps never before manifest itself as self-will, self-love. And thus this self-will and self-love shows up where you can get your hand on it. In lawlessness, if there's one word that characterizes people today, it's a spirit of lawlessness is breaking out everywhere. In church, in the hall, in the school. In some of your northern cities, the teachers hardly dare show up to try to teach. The kids will cut them or shoot them or something else. And anything on earth 
that people don't like now, oh, they organize a parade to protest. It's broken out everywhere. And more and more we're reaping the fruit of every man to himself. And the devil takes the hindmost. This is a lawless thing. The lawless will not allow the policeman or God to interfere with our vaunted freedom. And showing up. It's the old self-will and the self-love that's got the mayors and the president and everybody else in America. It caused one leading preacher of the day to predict that within five years in every village, much less city, we'll have lawless riots. That'll make the Watts community in Los Angeles look like a Sunday school picture. I talked the other day with some people right in the middle of that thing out in Los Angeles. Oh, this lawless age. What is it? It's the self-love. And self-will of man breaking loose. Coming manifest in lawlessness. But go a deeper word than that. We're not dealing with nice people. We're dealing with people of whom the scriptures say their hearts are the hearts are seats of hostility to God. Years since I saw that verse, Romans eight and seven. I saw for what it meant, and I'm still not able to understand it. It's too tremendous for me. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, The carnal mind is enmity. It doesn't say it's at enmity. It is enmity. And the deeper word, I think, that renders the original, the carnal mind, is hostility. I have wanted one time before the Lord comes or I die, whichever it is, his will. I'd love to preach one sermon and have enough of the anointing of the Holy Ghost to open that awful truth to people. This mind and the mind in the New Testament's the whole cute match. It means that the thing that makes Ralph Barnard take apart from Christ is itself hostility. And the thing that rouses the enmity of the hostility is the law of Almighty God. Our nature is a seed. It's a hotbed of hostility to God. The thing that arouses my enmity and hostility 
is the law of God. Not subject to verse continues to the law of God. Neither can it be. Oh, what's the matter with man? That they do a lot of things? That's bad enough. That they shake that fist at God? That's bad enough. That they trample every one of his commandments in the law under their feet. That they blow the smoke of their unbelief in the holy nostrils of Jesus Christ. That they do desperate to the Holy Ghost every day of the life. That's bad enough. We still haven't got to the depth of it. They are themselves seeds of fossil. To God on the throne. Everywhere I go, there's one thing I hear. There may be some difference in communities and some in peoples I do not know. But everywhere in America, you can put your feet on solid ground. And you talk to God's people and God's preachers. You hear one thing. Brother Barnard, there's not much conviction of sin in our community. No. And that makes me want to go to the mourner's bench because there hadn't been much honest to God opening of the real seed of the trouble. And I can preach on chewing the batter. And a man will say, well, I guess that's pretty bad. But I don't think it's any worse than doing something else. Down south, if you preach on it, they'll say, well, I don't think that's half as bad as pulling off all your clothes and going in with mixed bathing like you Yankees do. Or I can preach on something else. And they will say, I don't believe that's any worse than something else. And there's no conviction. But if somehow or another... God Almighty would give an outpouring to His preachers one more time. And with the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we could take the surgeon knife of the truth of God and open up the vile hearts of men and let the snakes of hatred against holiness come out. Maybe somebody would say, Depart from me. For I'm a sinful man. Nearly everything people can compare it now, but the scriptures see that inside is a hotbed of enmity and hostility to Almighty God as the lawgiver and the moral ruler of this universe. Men aren't just some people that do some bad things. Men are people who are themselves hostile to the rule of God. If we want 
to hear men screaming, is there any hope for such a vile wretch as I am? Once again in America, maybe we're going to have to throw alibis away and just camp right here a little bit. Oh, the hostility against the holiness of God is rampant today. And by God's help, I covet for myself and every preacher in America who stands to speak to eternity-bound men and women to roll up our sleeves and spit on our hands and seek to tell men the truth, tell it in love, but tell it! The trouble with men and women is not what they do. The trouble with men and women is what they are. We'll never seek conviction much again. So we spend less time cutting sprouts and just keep shooting at the vile, hostile, inimical hearts and minds. Men and women who are sad in their hostility to the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a holy God. The popular God does not even frown on the frivolity of present-day so-called churchanity. I am greatly alarmed. I've studied history a little bit, and I've read the Bible a little. To me, the most alarming thing about America tonight is what's happening to the Lord's Day. I'm an old fogey. I believe the next step after doing away with God's holy days will be to do away with God. I believe that with all my heart. I'm too far removed from the old Puritans we could do with a little of their theology and a few of their convictions. But I'm thinned out too much from them to be, I guess, a Puritan. Oh, God, I wish we could have a wave of conviction sweep over America. That this is the Lord's day. I think it is crystal clear that the next step after doing away with the Lord's day is to do away with God. You're familiar with the fact that the officials of France, by picture and symbol, took God to the borders of France and told him never to come back, and apparently he hadn't. You can go through city after city and village after village and village after village and city after city in France. Not any kind of a church service. Not any kind. Catholic, Baptist, just name it, not any kind. 
Theology, but I cannot accept all of this arguing about the Sabbath and we've done away with it. Now I understand those things, but there's a principle as deep as the character of God. It needs to be resounded today about the first day of the week. This is the Lord's day. Let us be glad. Holiness! Holiness! Profession in the seminary. Used to write on my papers, maybe in 30 years from now you'll be a preacher, boy. Keep on! This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-450, 3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, 
and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.